Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. It's human nature to rejoice in your enemy's downfall or celebrate the demise of a tyrant. But the Bible cautions against doing that with good reason. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers how David responded to the death of his enemy, King Saul, not with cheering, but with mourning. Listen as David introduces today's captivating message, a eulogy for an enemy. You know, the Bible is filled with emotional stories, and this is one of them. Here are two men who have been at odds for a long time. Here is one man who has tried to kill the other one. Here is Saul who tried to kill David on more than one occasion, David running from them. And as you know, David spurring his life when he had his life in his own hands. Now Saul is dead. You might think David is relieved, but he is not. He mourns. His eulogy on behalf of Saul is an amazing part of Scripture, and we're going to take part one of that in just a few moments. In the meantime, let me just remind you that uh, we have a major event coming up in the month of October in Charleston, South Carolina, kind of a first ever, celebrating the book that's coming out called The Great Disappearance, a two-day conference that you need to be a part of if you live anywhere near that community. You can find out more about this at davidjeremiah.org, and we'll be talking about it as we move toward the event. Don't miss out on this opportunity. If you live near South Carolina, if you're anywhere near, sign up and plan to come and be with us for those two special days. And um, as we get into this message on the eulogy for an enemy. I want to thank you again for your faithfulness in listening during this study of David's life. We still have a ways to go, and it's not all dark. Some of it's very bright. Today, we listen to David's well-chosen words for a man who was his enemy. Quite often I am asked by those who are in the ministry, what advantage I have been able to trace to my having grown up in a pastor's home. I cannot remember any definite times as a pastor's kid where we had bull sessions on how to be a good pastor, because until my senior year in college, I had no idea at all that that's where I was headed. But I do know, as I look back on my life, that there were many things that I learned without even trying to learn them about what it means to be a pastor by just growing up in a pastor's home. The advantage of that is incalculable to me as I talk with other men who are in the ministry who have no background in the pastorate and have had to learn very difficult lessons that I just naturally understood because of a good father and a good pastor who was a teacher. But I was not always responsive to that teaching, even as I got into the ministry. I remember as I headed into the pastorate and I was facing 
my first opportunity to do some of the official things that a pastor does, such as conduct weddings and funerals and preside over ordinations and that sort of thing. I remember a conversation I had with my father relative to how you should conduct a funeral. And his counsel to me was very clear that at all costs you need to stay away from eulogizing the dead. Well, I wasn't sure that he was right about that. And so the second funeral I ever had as a pastor happened to be the service that was done in memory of a man that I had come to know quite well. He was a very aggressive and uh, type A personality, so that helps you understand how I identified with him. He was a very aggressive businessman, an outstanding insurance salesman. He had had some biblical training, so he was knowledgeable of the word. He ultimately died of the effects of an enlarged heart at the age of 46. And that was my second funeral. Well, I knew this man. I was a friend. I'd spent many hours with him. And so in disregard of the counsel of my knowledgeable father, I took the opportunity at the front end of my message to read a rather long and extended eulogy of this man that I thought was uh, almost beyond my ability to write. I must tell you it was quite moving and very beautiful. We had the rest of the service and a month later I opened the newspaper to discover that this man that I thought I knew was involved in a lot of things that he shouldn't have been involved in. He was being sued by everybody in the world. He had been involved in some deception. He had problems everywhere you could look and every day for the next month it was all over the paper. And all I could remember were the glowing things I had said about this man's character, what a great person he was, how well I knew him, and wonderful things were just flowing out of that service. And yet here today, as we open our Bibles, we have in front of us, in the first chapter of 2 Samuel, a glowing eulogy by David of his enemy, Saul. And I need to report to you that this eulogy was written after David read the papers. He knew everything about this man, the good and the bad, and yet he wrote this beautiful funeral dirge, which has become a classic even in our day. Now, in order to understand this, and we'll get to it as we come to the end of the message today, we need to get the setting of it all in the first chapter. And so there's some narrative material here we kind of need to rapidly move through, and I'll just give you some signposts along the way so you won't get lost little four or five point outline to study the chapter together as we get to the fine print in your Bible, which begins uh, at the 19th verse, and that's the poem that David wrote. Now, if you remember when we met the last time, we discussed the end of Saul's life, which, according to the 31st chapter of 1 Samuel, was due to suicide. Saul, in desperation, knowing that he had been mortally wounded by the arrows of the Philistines, and not wanting them to ultimately find him still breathing and make sport with him, Saul, first of all, tried to get his armor-bearer to take his life, and when the armor-bearer decided he wouldn't do it, Saul took his sword, and the Bible says he fell on his sword and died, taking his own life, and the armor-bearer followed suit, taking his life as well. 
And of course, David is not involved in that immediate setting, and so he is unaware of the death of Saul. But as we open our Bibles to 2 Samuel, David is about to find out what's going on and how Saul died. So the first thing you will note in 2 Samuel 1 is the messenger of Saul's death. The messenger of Saul's death through the fourth verse, notice. And it came to pass after the death of Saul when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites and David had abode two days in Ziglag. It came even to pass on the third day that behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and he did obeisance. And David said to him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter, I pray thee? Tell me. And he answered, That the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people also are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. Now it is obvious that in this story, the Amalekite is trying to pass himself off as a mourner as someone who was now loyal to David. He wants David to respect him and to like him. And so he comes to David, obviously with his clothes rent, he's mourning and he's trying to tell David about the death of Saul. He probably thought that he would be rewarded for telling David some good news. He probably thought that David was just waiting for Saul's death so he could mount the steps of the kingdom and become the monarch that he had been anointed to be. He probably thought that David would be overjoyed to hear that finally his enemy was gone. And so the messenger of death comes to give the message to David. But notice secondly, in verses 5 through 10, the message of Saul's death. First of all, the messenger who is an Amalekite, but now note as we continue to read the message of Saul's death. And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? And the young man that told him said, Well, as I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me. And called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish is come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head, and the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Now, if you read that story carefully, you know right here we have a major problem. We have two accounts of Saul's death that do not match. The passage that we have just read is often cited by the critics as a number one proof that God's word is filled with contradictions. According to these infidels, this record of Saul's death does not match the record given in 1 Samuel 31. But I want you to note that there is no discrepancy. 1 Samuel 31 gives God's record of Saul's death. 2 Samuel gives the fabricated story of an Amalekite who found Saul already dead and was trying to take advantage of Saul's death to ingratiate himself to the new king. 
If you read 1 Samuel chapter 31 and verses 4 and 5, you have the accurate record of what happened. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. And Saul said unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. Now watch carefully what the Spirit of God says. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. Now that's the record of the Spirit of God in the 31st chapter. But that is not the way the Amalekite reported it to David. The Amalekite said that he came upon Saul... Saul still had his life whole within him. And Saul said unto him, Please come, put me out of my misery, stand upon me and slay me. And the Amalekite said, I did that. And I've brought you his crown and I've brought you his bracelet as proof positive that what I have told you is true. Now, what we have here is an illustration of a very important truth of inspiration. Sometimes people think that if the Bible contains the lies of men, that that invalidates the Word of God. Let me simply say to you that wherever the Bible speaks, it speaks the truth. It even speaks the truth about the lies that men tell. And this Amalekite had fabricated this story, as we shall see in a moment. He came upon Saul's dead body. He saw there the royal emblems still with Saul and decided to use those emblems to his own advantage. And I ought to pause for just a moment with a little parenthetic uh, observation I have made as I read the story. Uh, we have a bit of insight into the man Saul and his death. Rather humorous, if I may say so, that this man who had been a veteran soldier was so proud and so determined to demonstrate his pride that into the battle... He wore his crown and his royal bracelet. I can't imagine any military man doing that. I can't imagine Saul doing that if he did not want to be identified. The Amalekite is trying to ingratiate himself to David by telling the lie. And so he tells him this whole thing. Saul is dead. There's no question about that. But the issue is how did he die? We have chosen rather to believe the record of the Holy Spirit in chapter 31 as opposed to the Amalekites' report in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. And interestingly enough, whenever Saul's death is referenced in the Bible, it is always referenced exactly as it occurred reported in the 31st chapter. Now, that's the message of Saul's death and the messenger of Saul's death. Now let's notice, thirdly, the mourning over Saul's death. Notice as you have your Bibles open in the 11th verse that when David gets the word that Saul has died, then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him, and they mourned and they wept and they fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword." There is a verse in Proverbs that is a summary statement of what is going on here. It's Proverbs 24, verse 17. Listen to what it says. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. David's enemy has fallen. But when he gets the news from the Amalekite that Saul is dead, and he has in his hand Saul's crown and his royal bracelet, 
You don't see David jumping up and down for joy that at last the kingdom will be his. But the scripture says he begins to mourn and he begins to weep and his family and his men weep with him and he fasts until evening because he has learned how to react when God's anointed falls. I cannot resist making a brief application here because it seems so pertinent in this day of fallen soldiers that it seems to me this is the proper response that all of us should have when one of God's anointed falls. We should not be filled with the tale to tell our next friend that we meet. We should not be rejoicing that at last he has been caught, but we should follow the example of David who did three things. First of all, he mourned for Jonathan and Saul. He mourned for them personally. Secondly, he mourned for the people of the Lord that had looked to them for leadership. And thirdly, he mourned for the house of the Lord, for the ministry of God. Whenever we hear the report of one of God's choice servants who has fallen by the wayside, has been caught up, not perhaps in a military defeat, but in a moral defeat, our response ought to be, even as David's response was of Saul, sorrow for the person, sorrow for the people, and sorrow for the work of God to which they had committed themselves. Sorrow, not gladness, not a smug complacency, not a pious response like the Pharisee, but sorrow. It is a well-worn and tried adage that the army of God is the only army on the face of the world that shoots its own wounded, but it is very appropriately true in many cases. What to do when one of God's anointed falls, the Bible teaches us. That is the mourning over Saul's death. Notice, fourthly, the murder of the messenger of death. What happens next seems to be a rather abrupt knee-jerk response on the part of King David. But in the 13th verse, notice what happens. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Now you're saying, did David believe his lie? I don't believe so. And I think we'll find that out in a moment. And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head. For thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. David didn't say, You're being killed because you slew the Lord's anointed. But he said, You're being killed because you said you slew the Lord's anointed. Your mouth is the testimony against you. And I thought I would just throw in the background of that so you would understand why that Amalekite was treated so cruelly. If you have a Bible that you can find uh, Deuteronomy very quickly, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 17. And let me show you something that would escape us in this context if we just don't turn to it and read it. The Lord had a very specific instruction to the people of Israel concerning the Amalekites with good reason and clear insight. And in Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, we read his instruction. God is speaking. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou wast faint and weary and he feared not God. 
Therefore, says God, it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. God said to the Israelites, this is such a wicked people, such a cruel people, such a people that has so denied my headship and my sovereignty that you as a nation, whenever you come across the Amaleks, you are to blot them out from off the earth. Now David is the king. King Saul is gone. And the first action of his reign is to punish the Amalekite who has lied about the death of Saul and has taken pride in Saul's death and has determined to use it to his own advantage. As the king, David was responsible to carry out God's orders and the first act of business on his agenda was to do what God had told him to do. That's the murder of the messenger. Now, we come to the very end of the chapter and very quickly the memory of Saul and Jonathan. And here is the funeral poem that is recorded for us at the end of the first chapter. It is a very interesting thing to study the history of this little section of God's word. It has been referred to quite often in literature, especially in English literature, as the song of the bow. And that is because in the 18th verse, there is a reference to the bow where we are told in verse 18, also David bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And so this little poem from verse 19 through verse 27 is sometimes referred to as the song of the bow. It is a very beautiful funeral poem. It has been the classic funeral dirge from which most of the classic dirges or eulogies have been written. It is in a classic play called Saul, and it's called the Death Song. It is everywhere apparent, apart from the Word of God, as a model presentation of how you should respond to someone that you honor and revere at the time of their death. Now, I'd like to just walk through this eulogy, and I'm going to do it very quickly. There's about seven or eight stanzas, and show you what David did as he honored the memory of this man who had tormented him most of his adult life. Notice, first of all, the first stanza is the requiem for the death of God's mighty anointed. Verse 19, the beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? The requiem for the death of God's mighty anointed. Notice, secondly, the regret for the apparent victory of God's enemies. Verse 20, tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. David's second thought after his concern for the death of Saul was for the reputation of God. It is always true of David. He has a great and lofty appreciation for God's reputation. And you know what he feared? Almost more than he cared about the death of Saul, he feared the fact that the news of Saul's death would be circulated in the cities of Philistia and it would be a cause of rallying for the enemies of God. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting that men of God, people of faith, look at tragedy in such a different way? David saw this for what it was and was concerned about what it could mean. 
And we'll have more about this after the weekend. On Monday, we'll finish up the eulogy for an enemy. And speaking of the weekend, I hope you're prepared to energize the people around you in the church that you attend. I hope you're going to church. We talk about this a lot at Shadow Mountain, looking and working and encouraging people to get back into the routine that was theirs before COVID interrupted it. And some have not done that, as I'm sure it's true in your community. But for all who do, there's a blessing. And the church is a very important part of everybody's life, especially now, with all the uncertainty, all of the uh, crazy things that are happening in our world. Is there a place where you can find hope and where you can find solidarity? Yes, there is. It's your church, and you need to be there. I hope you go to church on Sunday. I give you this little pep talk every weekend because I know that the key to your life is not listening to me on the radio. The key to your life is going to church, and I hope you will do that. And we'll be back here on Monday. We'll also be in your community on television. Hopefully, you can DVR us if it's during your church time. But um, this is an opportunity for us to work together for the growth of our families and for our own personal growth. The church, the weekly Bible studies, all of this is meant to help you be the person God created you to be. And so much of that is because you are faithful in listening and participating. Friends, we love you and we thank you for the privilege of being your teacher. Please join us again on Monday. And in the meantime, have a great weekend. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God, but we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. In my Bible, the phrase one another appears 132 times. 
for better or worse, our lives are supposed to be lived while relating to other people. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, the one another's are mostly about what not to do to one another. But when we get to the New Testament, they take on a much more personal and intimate tone. We are to love, admonish, confess to, serve, have compassion for, and do all manner of challenging, yet rewarding things with and to one another. I hope you have plenty of those New Testament one another's in your life. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons for relationships on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.